Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First of all, it's, it's when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast. Powered by the State of Louisville Network. We keep things moving right along on From the Pink Seats podcast as we continue to look back at the 2021 through our season in review series, the eight-part series on From the Pink Seats podcast. Welcome into the show. I am the host, Jacob Lane, joined as always by my good friend, Matt McGavick. No Vince LaCoco tonight. Uh, We gave him the night off to take out uh, his wonderful lady, Emma, out on a wonderful birthday dinner. Emma, if you're listening, happy birthday, Vince. You're doing a great job, pal. We're proud of you. But business rolls along because we've got a great show. Uh, and, and football just doesn't ever stop. Isn't that right, Matt? No, never stops. Never stops. That's right. And in, uh, in true fashion here, we're going to continue to break down the season uh, as, as absolutely as rich as we can here with as much juice and as much information as we can possibly spit out of our uh, of our mouths here. We're going to continue to do so. We've got football information, and we've got our good friends Keith Wynn and Cameron Teague of the Courier-Journal joining us. Uh, I think this is the fourth time we've done this uh, with these two fellas. Uh, talking football, two of our favorite guys in the city to talk football with. We're going to look back at 2021 and we're going to recap uh, just about everything that Matt and I and Vince have talked about over the last few weeks from the stats of offense, stats of defense, what the players had to say, some of their predictions for 2021, 22. Uh, and then we're going to, of course, look ahead to next year for the first time on uh, in this series as we start to shift our focus to spring and 2022. Uh, but before we do that, of course, we'll look back one more time with our guys here. Uh, and as always, be sure to give us a follow if you haven't done so already. Be sure to follow the Twitter account at Pink Seats Pod at Matt underscore McGavick. The Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated is where you can find his work. Stateoflouisville.com uh, is where you can find uh, my work and the work of our uh, great uh, crew of podcasters and writers over there. The State of Louisville Podcast Network, uh, home to six exclusive shows covering a variety of sports across the global landscape here. So we're going to get out of the way uh, and welcome in uh, our two football experts and dive into the Louisville football season. All right, we welcome our uh, gentleman of the hour into the show now, Cameron Teague of the Courier-Journal, Keith Wynn, deputy editor of Card Chronicle. Cam, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. I know it's been a couple of weeks. You've had some time off from football. I know you've had the recruiting stuff in there, but not having to be weekly press conferences, more women's basketball focused now. So how how's things going for you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Um, like you said, women's basketball focus at the moment. Football, still writing some football stuff. Football spring practice will start up in 20 days from, from the moment that we are recording. So that'll be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. Keith, it's been like four days since I've talked to you. I saw your wife wave at her earlier across the street as we both got <laughs> our kids and tried to skate across the ice rinks that are our driveways. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's good to be back talking football, you know, on a regular basis. So. Uh, plenty to talk about. It's always, you know, good to talk with you guys. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's only been what six days since your last appearance on the show. We're making you like a regular at this point. And with with Cam, man, Cam's hopping on our show. 
doing the uh, women's basketball pod in the morning. I'm going to have to pay him at some point for becoming a state of Louisville employee. The way he's... The <laughs> I'll pay you in beer and good food somewhere on Barstown Road. We'll meet, we'll meet in the middle, man, for all the, the, the work you've done for us. So, all right, let's jump right into it, man. It's been uh, an interesting couple of episodes as we have really kind of, you know, really in detail dove back into the season and look at, you know, how things went. The record six and seven, obviously not what anybody expected. We say we've said this a lot. Satterfield said it. He got crushed for it by the fan base. uh, But Louisville was literally a few bounces of the football away from maybe winning seven, eight, nine games even. I I mean, you could go as far as saying nine, ten games. Uh, but they didn't. They won six games. Um, Scott Satterfield, again, was in the news with his his coaching position. But we've gotten past that thanks to Chris Mack. And now the future is looking <laughs> bright again for Louisville football. Ton of, of big news with transfers, coaching staff uh, turnover, um, obviously recruiting news with Pierce Clarkson and some of the other guys committing to Louisville. So uh, let's let's just start with this. What was the biggest narrative in your all's minds in 2021? Cam, you can go ahead and jump in there first. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I thought it was just the inability to make a play when you needed to make a play uh, outside of the first four games. I mean, you look UCF, Dan Alderman, big play, uh, Kicho Clark, big play against Florida State. The rest of the year, it was just, I mean, just nowhere to be found when you needed them to make a play. I mean, you look at the bowl game, Wake Forest, Virginia, Clemson, it's it just blown opportunities, um, and, and very small mistakes throughout games that cost them. I mean, you're looking at holding penalties, just small stuff like that. So, I mean, you said it earlier, um, and this really this season really could come down to, you. if you watch the whole season, again, straight, which I'm sure Keith has probably done a couple of times. But, uh, Five times by now. You already know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what he has. Right. But I think if you look at you, you could probably look at five or six drives and say this was the difference between six or seven, like – this is probably a difference between seven or eight, maybe nine wins. And it, it's fans don't like hearing that, but I think that's what has to change next year is a holding call here, a, a missed assignment there, um, things of that nature that really changed the whole season. And if that doesn't happen, you don't, you don't have the whole coaching um, talk all, all off season. You probably have extension talk for Scott Satterfield. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Keith, man? I know we've kind of talked about this a, a little bit over the last few weeks with uh, more staff focused type of stuff, but what was your, what was your kind of, biggest takeaway from the season now having some time to reflect on it you know I think you know kind of him kind of nailed it it's it's missed opportunities you know and I think that you know not just these close losses that they had but to me it's more about the opportunities that they had to really show what kind of team they truly were I think Louisville in some of those close losses and even close wins were 10 point you know 10 points better than some of those teams in those games. If you don't, if you take advantage of opportunities and, you know, it's not just, you know, the holding, the the timing of some of the things, it's the missed deep ball here. There's, it's kind of timing of when things happen where instead of being able to extend the lead out, um, you're, you're you're keeping it where it is or, or you're missing that opportunity. You know, you go to the the Virginia game and, and I believe it was Virginia where Hassan Hall gets tackled and, you know, a breakaway run, and they end up not scoring. You know, those are the types of games where not just – I don't think they were really this team that should have been playing some of these games close. I think they were a lot better than that. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I hate the idea of kind of looking back at a, the whole, hey, they were a young team. But I do think that factors into, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball, some of those missed opportunities is not knowing who you can go to, who's your trustworthy guy, 
that when we need a play, who do we actually go to for that play? Um, and I think that's where uh, hopefully we see that change this year with a little bit more comfort with, with the team, a little bit more uh, depth on, on both sides of the ball. Maybe they get a little bit more comfort of what, what, what they go with on certain play calls and things like that. And that, that's the same for defense too. So hopefully that's what we see change. But I think that was such a factor as much as I hate to, to, to play that card. Um, I do think it factors in how you coach your team. We don't know who to go to all the time. Yeah. And Matt, before yeah. you jump into your next question here, let me ask a follow-up to both of you guys just quickly. I've heard a lot of people talk about this and I've heard a lot of people dismiss this, but in your all's opinion, how much of a factor was not having Monty Montgomery and Cottrell Clark to the overall success of the team? Braden Smith is another story because I feel like in those positions, Tyler Harrell emerged. You had obviously uh, Jordan Watkins and Mario Huggins-Bruce, but uh, specifically Monty Montgomery could have led the team in sacks for the, what, third year in a row had he been healthy, Cottrell Clark, maybe first team All-American in the the country if he's healthy, you know, type of season. Uh, How big is that? Think about it this way. I mean, you, you lose Monty Montgomery, the next guy up is a freshman yeah. who had barely yeah. played. I mean, you know, Jalen Alderman stepped up and played pretty well. Uh, he had a big play there, obviously, at the end of the UCF game, but that was right after Monty got injured. And I think Dorian Jones stepped up and played played well also, but I, I kind of feel like he's maybe more of a fit to be in CJ's role um, down down the road. So they kind of had to just piece together your, your most important position. I mean, Lowell's defense is built around – you know, kind of having a front and the linebackers cleaning up everything, you know, in the run game. And you're, you're, you're entrusting that to, to guys who hadn't played, no matter who stepped in, nobody had experience and you're taking away one of the best players on the team, if, if not the best defensive player, at least on your, on your team. Uh, and, and I think the, the, the fire, the passion, the emotion aspect, you know, he brings that to the table too people kind of dismiss some of that stuff as, 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 you know, this, that, and the other, but that stuff kind of matters. And um, I think he was huge. Uh, Losing him was a huge factor in how the defense played last year. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you just completely had to throw packages away without Monty Montgomery in the, in the game. And even with Trey Clark, not in the game. I mean, you look at Brian wants his corners. I mean, you put Trey Clark in a game, you can say, okay, we're just going to play Trey, just play man on the outside. And then we can, we can kind of lock down one side of the field and you can kind of adjust from there. They just weren't able to do that. Greedy Vance was pretty good. Um, Chandler Jones was hit or miss. Trey Franklin was hit or miss. Although I think he's probably better in zone than he is in man at times. Um, I just, I just think, especially in the secondary, it's just some things you just couldn't do. And then inside with Monty, like he said, those are young guys. Jalen Alderman, I thought for all the spots he got put in, played pretty well, but he's not Monty Montgomery. It's the the um, just the sheer instinct Monty has to go after the ball and know what to do and when to do it and just. He doesn't have a care in the world when he's on the field. He just wants to tackle somebody. So you just can't replace that. Um, so I, there, was, there was a lot. They missed those two a lot, and you could tell at times. Um, but, again, people don't want to hear that. But I, Exactly. I it's right, right. It's, it's huge, those two not being on the field. Yeah, and kind of building off of your two prior points, I know when it comes to the missed opportunities in the second half slash fourth quarter woes, the, the defense bears, you know, the majority of the blame there. But there were a lot of these games where – the offense didn't exactly do themselves many favors either. There were several games. I know Virginia specifically in that fourth quarter, Clemson towards the end on that goal line where the defense may, they maybe got to stop, but then when the offense got back on the field, they weren't taking advantage of what the defense like set them up for. Granted, it wasn't as egregious as it was in 2020, but it was still a very untimely problem for this team. 
uh, this team just they never get on they never sink they're never synced up I mean the off the offense is never synced up with the defense the defense is never synced up with the offense and I think that's what you saw I mean you I think the Air Force game is a perfect example of it the offense was fine in most most of the first half defense was terrible you come out the second half defense I think got three straight stops and then the offense couldn't move the ball the offense got down yep. to the one and couldn't score it's just the Clemson game the defense does enough to to put them in a position to win the game the offense gets stopped it's just I think both sides are are equally at fault of having the most poorly timed routes of the season. Yeah. <laughs> they they I, just can't do it at the same time for some reason. I think it's a lack, one... of, it's a, it's, it's a lack of complimentary football, right? You know, where, you know, if your defense is getting stops, your offense has to be able to at least sustain drives. Right. Right. And then you're hoping, you know, first off, you're at least taking advantage or, or keeping your defense off the field. Uh, and, and and letting them rest and and hopefully that helps them continue get stops, but you know it really just comes down to like you said the droughts happen at the worst times. I mean the NC State game is is well I don't think I'll ever forget that it was five straight three and outs for the defense and they didn't score. I mean I, I I've never I mean you go into that game and I'm like man I, you know NC State's offense is not really that great, but they're efficient. You know their their quarterbacks gonna make plays and they kind of hit these big plays when you you know when you don't expect it. And they start getting these stops. I'm like, okay, well, the offense is playing against a defense missing their top two players. Uh, they, uh, their Tanner Ingle, I think, went out with an injury. And I'm like, all right, well, you got their three top players out of the game. All right, you're good to go. And they couldn't do anything. So I think that's, I think part of that also comes back to getting to the point, you know, when, when you had 2 2, when you had Des, when you had Javian, you kind of knew that, hey, they're going to get something going at some point. And I think they kind of – they struggled last year on offense to find a way to get something that they knew was going to work outside of deep balls to Tyler Harrell, right? So when Braden Smith went down, I think they lost that security blanket. They kind of moved Marshawn Ford into this kind of wide receiver role that kind that worked at times. And at other times, I think it took away from where he can get you the first downs that he always gets you. And then, you, you know, I don't think they really found a comfort in anything else. And that's what they have to improve on. And when they don't find that comfort, they automatically go to Malik do something. Yeah. yeah. And the NC State game yeah. is a yeah. perfect example of putting the game in Malik's hands and the defense just being like, okay, well, th- th- we kind of know what's going to happen. And they took away his legs. Next thing you know, the, the offense couldn't do anything in the entire game. So I think they've got to they've got to find that comfort level with uh, with some of these other guys. I think the, the the running game has to be better. But on offense, the numbers look pretty. But when you really watch the games, they're not really that that pretty when you watch the games all the way and, down. And re- really quick, I know you probably want to move on to another question, but I, I think we have a we have a tendency to automatically put blame on one side of the football after a loss. Right. The yeah. Virginia game, okay, completely I get it. Want to blame the defense. That's completely at fault. Brian Brown should have should have adjusted more. Completely get you. But after games, we have a tendency of saying, this is what happened in the fourth quarter. The defense gave up two touchdowns and Louisville lost by three points. It's the defense's fault they lost. Here's a four-quarter game of football, and it goes on both sides. It's offense at times. It's defense at times. And I'm not – there's a lot that goes into special teams that Louisville just is really bad at for three and a half years. So um, it's the whole team at times. And it's – it's you can put it on one side, but overall, if you look at different games, like like Keith mentioned, NC State – um, you look at Wake Forest, there's a lot of moments that all three phases of the game failed Louisville this year. 
Right. And it's like Keith said, it's, it's a lack of complimentary football. But for, for everything that did go bad for Louisville this year, namely the fourth quarter collapses and whatnot, I mean, they still went six and seven. It's not like they lost all their games. And namely, a lot of those games were won by a resurgent Malik Cunningham. He was able to overcome his turnover woes from 2020. And he went out 2021. He came this close to a 3,000, 1,000 2020 season. I think he, what was he, a rushing touchdown away from reaching that mark? Or was it a pass? It was one of the two. Touchdown, like 50 rushing yards or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. E- either way, I mean, he, he was able to overcome his struggles from last year. And if Louisville wins like two, three more games, he he could have been in the Heisman conversation this year. So my question here is what what was the most impressive aspect about Malik Cunningham's development during his redshirt junior year? Uh, I, I think the easy answer is, I mean, I think the just more popular answer is probably the just entire Duke game. But I, I, I think for me, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was just, I, I mean, I just looked at, remember looking at the Ole Miss game and thinking like, man, this is the same Malik Cunningham as last year. I, he just looked so antsy. He didn't handle pressure well. He wasn't really standing in the pocket. I thought his growth throughout the year of being able to stand in the pocket and make throws with pressure on his face was just um, – I, I thought that was the difference for him. Uh, now, he wasn't great at it all year, but you could tell when he was at his best, he was trusting himself at the line. He knew guys were going to get open, and he delivered the ball with accuracy. Um, I, I thought that was the moment where – I thought that, that was the biggest growth for him. I he didn't need his legs all the time. Now he used them a lot, obviously, but he wasn't a running quarterback only. He was able to trust his line and, and sit in the pocket and deliver throws. And I thought that's something he didn't do a, a lot of in the past. And I think he grew a lot there this year. Yeah, he's still my answer. So, um, <laughs> like, but no, I really do think that he he trusted his line so much more this year, and and it really uh, it really did help him. I think the other aspect is you know I think that. You know, when he ran the ball, I, I felt like he was decisive. You know, sometimes that doesn't always lead to a good thing. But w- when you're a running quarterback, you've got to make the decision. You've got to be decisive. You gotta you gotta make the make the decision on hey, am I gonna if I, am I gonna hold it? If I, am I gonna pitch? Am I gonna hand off? Am I gonna cut this up? Am I gonna cut it out? I felt like he was decisive um, this year as a runner. And you know, it led to a lot of goal line touchdowns. And you know, they had the they had some struggles. Obviously, the Clemson game is the one that everybody looks at. But you know, I think that in general, he did a really good job of just being the playmaker um, when he needed to be and making the call to do what he felt was right, as opposed to kind of being wishy washy. And you know, I think that's important. And you know, hopefully, going forward, you know, in my opinion, I think he needs to run a little bit less. Um, and that's not necessarily on him as much as it's the calls. Um, but when he does, I think that running less should hopefully let him be more explosive. And I think that's what we kind of missed a little bit. He had plenty of highlight runs, but being able to be a runner where you're putting huge chunk runs together because the defense isn't expecting as much, I think that would be a big factor this year coming up. It'd be yeah, awesome it seems to be like making he- his – if he want, if he's trying to go pro, I think what he said, being able to, um, I think that's a huge thing for him going pro and turning into his, his development um, for a lot of NFL teams too. And that's a that's actually a good segue into the next part of the question I wanted to ask. And I'm actually curious as to what your answers to this are. How now everyone looks at this situation kind of sort of compares it to what Kenny Pickett does. He was kind of a a fringe pick. He comes back for his last year. And now he's first rounder. How close is Malik? 
to reaching his ceiling. I think I think Malik needs I think for Malik to reach his ceiling, he needs the offense to be as efficient as it can possibly be. And part of what Malik needs is to be able to have a trustworthy running game. I looked at a few years ago, his first year playing, they hit a lot of big plays. But I think, you know, a big part of that was how good they were running the football and how efficient they were blocking running the football. Um, and I think that what he needs more than anything is to be able to not only have a great running game around him, uh, that's not as much him, but I think that he also needs his receivers to be more uh, dynamic. And the difference between last year and the year before that and the year before that, to me, was just the lack of dynamic players at the wide receiver position where you take, you know, you lose a guy like Dez, you lose a guy like Tutu, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of guys that can make big plays for you without you having to make it for them. Where right now, Tyler Hurrell, I think, has that ability. And we saw little flashes of him getting a pass and taking it and running with it. I think they need more, more than just him. And, you know, they had more of a possession receiver group last year. Yeah. You know, if they can get guys that can really make some big plays for him, I think that helps him grow and it helps him trust that, hey, I can get the ball different spots and get and, and somebody will make a play for me. And I think that's where Malik gets better. Because I think it's from a skill standpoint, I think his skills are, are where you need him. He's, he's, he's not an 80%, you know, completion guy. He's not, he's not some guy that's going to go out there and be able to just kill every single throw. And he's going to make some errors here and there. But I think he needs more guys around him making plays, which takes some of that pressure off of him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you, you think that you're like, opponent press conferences before games. I mean, the only thing they mention is Malik Cunningham. I mean, I just, every week. it's, it's every week and it, it's, it's a lot of pressure on him. I do think, and I think Keith tweeted this earlier. And I think we probably all talked about this. This will be the best running back room they've had uh, in terms of depth since that. Oh, no question. And, and I, I think that they have a chance to really elevate this offense. Now it's February 8th at the end of spring camp, before spring camp in the middle of spring camp, there could be 18 transfers. So um, <laughs> yeah. as of right now, that, yeah. that, that room is, I think it's built along with a pretty good offensive line coming back. It's built to help Malik Cunningham take pressure off of him. He just needs to be a little bit more efficient. As he said, trust his arm a little bit more. Don't make plays with your legs just to make plays with your legs. Um, and I, I think he could have, he could have a pretty good year. I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet. I think like like he said, if some of the receivers come, coming in can make plays, I love the Hudson kid. I think he's going to be a pretty pretty big addition for them. Um, right. I think Tyler Harrell is probably going to grow up a little, improve a little bit more. HB and Brand Smith coming back. I, I don't I don't really I think honestly I think the receiver room might be in a better spot right now than it was at this point last year. So yeah. um, you That's I think the good. offense overall is built to, for Malik to have a really good year next year. Now we said that two years ago. And then he turned the ball over a bajillion times. So um, that, that'll be the difference for him this year. If he can make big plays without forcing them too much. I know I've That's said it a couple of times on this pod, but this is, I guess I'll tell you guys now, the last couple of pods where we've talked about Malik and we've done it often, if everything goes relatively according to plan, if the running backs keep the offense balanced, if the wide receiver room is as good as we think it is right now to the point where it's probably better than it was last year, I truthfully think Malik Cunningham has a really good chance at going to New York. Maybe not win the Heisman, but I th- I think there's a really good chance he he could end up as like a top five guy. He, here's my only thing against that is that 
if the running back room is as good as they think it is, there may be a little bit less production in numbers for Malik than it was this season. I think that at times this year they had to have Malik do things that next year, I think if Evans is as good as they, they think he can be and Travion grows and continues to improve as well, that maybe they don't need him as much. I think that's ideal for Louisville's offense. Like I, now it's great recruiting. It's great for Louisville, like everything else, if Malik goes to New York. But I think the ideal situation for Louisville's offense to be successful next year is not to – you don't need Malik to be a 3,000 total yards guy. Yeah, and you don't want to grind him into the ground. We've seen the injuries that he's had, and, and, you know, we've – I mean, he's exited more games over the last three years than than any, you know, player I can remember in seasons past. Uh, A couple of things I want to point out before we move on to the next one. Wide receiver room, I'm a big fan of the wide receiver room. I think that – Cameron, you're right. I think they might be better off than they were, and I think – um, from the number of weapons, I think they've got more than maybe they even did in 2019, just total number. Now, not not necessarily quality, but just total right. number. Tyler Hudson comes in, Devon Mortimer comes in, Chris Bell, um, you know, some of these guys pop and at least give you something. And then uh, one of the biggest things I talked about uh, in our offensive review was you get Marshawn Ford back to his natural position. You get him going a little bit more on the goal line. The touchdown numbers will go up from Malik from a passing standpoint to kind of help that resume in New York without having to do anything kind of crazy there. Let me ask you uh, about this, the kind of standpoint of the fourth quarter this past year with Louisville. Um, you know, we talked about their offense not being in sync, the defense not being in sync. Um, you know, we uh, we broke down the numbers uh, last week and, and, you know, what the, what they looked like from the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, and it was just ugly for Louisville in the fourth quarter, something like 99 to 126 overall across the season. They were outscored um, in the fourth quarter. The margins weren't, weren't great in the wins, but in the losses it was particularly bad. Um, I'm, I, I think we, we've talked about why that happened, and but I want to talk more about how you improve that. What are they going to do um, outside of upgrading the roster? Uh, what are they? What's the plan to be able to move forward and, and move on from that? I know Scott Satterfield's talked about it. The players have. Um, what, what do they do to kind of bounce back from that and, and take it as a kind of a learning, um, you know, a, a piece of learning and, and move on and, and really grow and taking that next step to win maybe nine, ten games? I mean, I, I think it's adding depth. I mean, that, that's, you know, you go back to last year, and, you know, and, and of course, I, you know, maybe it's just because of the way I watch games sometimes. But you, there are a couple of games where you watch guys like C.J. Avery, Hugh Cole, guys that just don't leave the game. And you get into that fourth quarter and they're dead, dead tired. You know, I remember the Virginia game. Brandon Armstrong runs for a touchdown and gets called back for a penalty. And C.J. Avery just could not even run. He couldn't run to catch him. Brandon Armstrong, first off, is not a fast guy. And C.J. Avery could easily catch him on a normal. He was just dead tired. They have more guys now, uh, not, not not across the board, but, you know, you look on both sides of the ball, I think they have more depth, um, more guys that can get out there and play. You know, even if you look at the running back, you know, room, you have more guys you can play. And later in the games, you're able to actually dish out that punishment from a, from a running game standpoint. And when you have a lead, you have, you know, four total backs that you can put out there. Imagine Gerard Jordan, the way he runs the ball, and he comes in late in games and he's punishing your defense at, you know, even though he's up to, what, 190 pounds maybe, the way he runs the ball, he's going to be fresh. When you have guys on defense and you can say, okay, we're not just playing the same corners every single, you know, you know, uh, a drive. Now you have four veteran corners on top of the two young guys, and now you can rotate those guys in from time to time and play them. You've got to be able to play more guys, and and I think they they were terrible about that last year, partially because who do you, who do you put out there, right? 
you know, if you 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 want to you don't want to play your your freshmen, you don't want to play the young guys that maybe just aren't ready to play. Well, now you maybe get another year, another year in the strength and conditioning program, and you have guys from from your defensive line all the way to your back end that should, and I say should, be able to spell guys throughout the games. And then when you get to the fourth quarter, you're not just relying on your top guys who have played 60, 70 snaps in this game. You can play – you can say that we've given this guy – you give a defensive player a series off. Let's say – just say C.J. Avery. You give him a series off, and now he's he's set for the offensive possession before. He's set that entire defensive possession, and now he's set for another offensive possession. That's a half hour plus of just rest to just sit and relax and be able to kind of keep yourself instead of being out there for maybe – even if it's three and out, you're still going out there, you're, you're banging bodies. They've got to find a way to be able to do that and be comfortable with it. And I think they were, they just didn't have that last year. So adding the transfers that they've added in, uh, not only are replacing what they've lost, they've added some veteran depth that you've got to be able to play. And then you're bringing up these young guys that played a little bit here, played a little bit there. You look at the defensive line, Victor Brown, you know, Caleb Banks. Some of these guys that didn't play very much last year because they wanted to redshirt them. Now you, you know, hopefully, you know, I keep saying hopefully, and, and you should be able to get these guys who are ready to play at the college level after a full year in the program. They should be able to play now, and hopefully that helps you in the fourth quarters. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the positive of last year is that they were able to get some guys, a lot of young guys, a lot of playing time. Right. I mean, you, you were able to get guys like Jalen Alderman, Dorian Jones, um, Amari Huggins-Bruce. Um, you got Josh Miggins in at times. Um, you got Kenai Walker in at times. You're, you're looking, you're looking at guys like those who now will be put in positions where they have to play, but you also brought in a lot of production from transfers. So you have well, Walker. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Not Kenai Walker, but yeah, you know what I mean. But <laughs> right, yeah, true, true. But like you, you have guys who now you have the ability to bring in transfers and put them above them in a depth chart. But now you can bring those younger guys in and spell them at times. And you, I think it's just the amount of. Um, just energy you save from playing those guys and being able to put them in. Maybe they're not ready to play major minutes, ma- major snaps, but they're able to come in and spell the some spell some of the starters. So, I, I mean, I think one position I think of a lot, like uh, Kisab, is his inside linebacker. You, you're talking about um, the Ole Miss transfer whose name I have yet forgot to pronounce. Um, Momo Sonogo. Momo yeah, Sonogo. There you go. Um, uh, you have you have Monty, you have Dorian, you have Jalen, you have KJ. Like you, you have that's five linebackers right there. Like you say, nobody should be tired at this point. Now, impact and and it, it might dip a little bit if you're taking Monty out for somebody, but still that, that there should be enough there where you can spell Monty and you spot you can spell Momo and just get guys going throughout the game. So. Um, even at um, even like Keith said, a defensive line, hopefully, and and even at receiver, I think there's guys who there's enough depth there now where you can spell people going deep in the games. And yeah. I think, and I think another thing about some of these young guys is that you're hoping that some of the guys that you didn't get on the field as much can can be that that wow redshirt freshman guy, right? The, that wow second year guy, whether it be a Victor Brown, whether it be a Ben Perry, uh, you know, you have guys throughout the roster that didn't get a lot of run. Jawar Jordan is a guy that, you know, we saw flashes, but who knows if he just, he, he, you know, he's healthy and he has a good spring and maybe he, he, he's the guy that, you know, next year it's like, man, this guy's really much better. He takes that next step, right? You want to see who, who develops and, and takes that next step forward. Some of them are going to be guys that we didn't see a lot of last year. 
And that's what you're hoping for because they've got a ton of young guys. I mean, just a ridiculous amount of young guys that we only saw a little bit of. One or two of those guys is all you need to be able to take that step. And now you've got a, you know, another defensive end across from Aston Gelati and, and, and other than Yaya Diaby and Vic Tom Brown, maybe that comes in and he puts up five, six sacks on the year. That's a great, that's a huge improvement uh, from what we had last year. And so you, you hope to have that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that's what the, 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 the big unknown is with all these young guys is who's going to be that. Wow. We, why, why didn't this guy play last year? Who's a Jamie Hawkins, right? Redshirted didn't play at all as a freshman came back and all of a sudden he breaks the running back record for the, for the school. Who's going to be the guy that just, you know, not maybe that guy, not, not that level of production, but who's the guy that you're going to say, why didn't they play this guy last year? There's going to be at least one or two of those guys. Yeah. And, and kind of going back to what both of you guys are saying, talking about depth and specifically you, Keith, about def- defensive line. That's the one position where I'm kind of excited to see how it pans out. Cause I mean, we all know last three years, three plus years, honestly, defensive line is, not exactly been the most productive for Louisville, but then you look at what they have coming back. You you have Ashton Gelati. He had a really good freshman year. You hope that Yaya Diaby gets up to the close to the production he thought he was going to have last year. And then you have guys like Caleb Banks, who's apparently up to 305 pounds now, who could be uh, vying for starts at nose tackle. Uh, you bring in Sailor Brown. You bring in Popeye Williams. And then smattering of other guys across there, like uh, Victor Brown. I really – think this could be be the season in which they finally start to get meaningful production out of that defensive line. But, and I see you shaking your head, Cam, but it all depends on how the rotation at nose tackle goes. Because, because like, you can force pressure from the left, force pressure from the right, but to get the most pressure on the quarterback or in the backfield in general, you got to force pressure from right in front. And they haven't been able to do that you know, on a consistent basis for four or five-ish years now since they've had a truly dominant nose tackle? Well, I, I, as someone who is a believer in this defense, and I, I truly do. And I think the scheme is, is you know, with the fits and all that, well, it can work. And I think they have, they have moments where you're like, this is what it should be. I refuse to hype it up at Same. all until they show me. Same. I mean, I did yeah, it last same. year. I did it all summer. That's why I say I'm excited to see. Not, not. I'm not trying to crown them that they're going to be <laughs> like <laughs> the um, the purple people eaters next season. <laughs> I had the same thought. I know it was going through camps. And I was like, nope, nope, not going to do it. Not <laughs> not do it. it. <laughs> I, we, we, we went the whole fall camp saying that, yeah, yeah, Diaby is going to be an all ACC player. I yeah, mean, I, I just – I can't do it again until I see it. <laughs> the, the only person on that front seven that I will hype up is Yasir Abdullah. Yep. And after that, yep. I mean, he's, 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 I mean, I think he comes back as one of the best pass rushers in the ACC, if not the oh. best with Jermaine Johnson gone. So, yeah. And, now, and maybe one of the best in the country. In the that. country. I mean, he, right, exactly. Especially so, getting Monty back and some of the other blitz. Marvin Dallas on the other side, which first time we get to mention Marvin Dallas and the show. The right, thing here well. is try to mention him as many times as you can. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I would have, and not to cut you, I would have loved to have seen Nesta Silvera in a little jersey. I hate that he had to go out to the desert out west to play for Herm Edwards, who's probably at some point going to lose his job. Everybody else around him seems to be losing his job. Uh, but I can understand why you'd want to go to the desert to play in Arizona and not play at, at Louisville in the snow in the winter. But, you know, anyways, camp, go on. Yeah, no, I just for me, it's just 
the defensive line on paper, man, look, it, it looks good. Caleb Banks, I was told in fall, like in the last scrimmage they had in fall camp was like t- terrorizing people. Now he's at 300 pounds. You'd like to think he'd be able to step in and nose with Des Tell and maybe uh, Toffee Thomas and, and and play well there. You you, you hope you see uh, Yaya Diaby stepping up. You hope Ashton can build off that. I heard a lot of good things about Vic Brown coming into last year, but you didn't get to see him a ton. Listen, man, I, 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 if the defensive <laughs> line's got to show me, I can't do it anymore. I, I, they got to show me. I yeah. just can't do it anymore. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. That's that's completely fair. Somewhere uh, we're I'm, still we're still hyping up Zach Edwards somewhere. Right, exactly. Who wants to go down the I, Zach I, Edwards train, man? I am the I am the captain of the Zach Edwards Zach train. Edwards. It just never came to fruition, man. Not one bit. But enough about the players. I want to talk a little bit about how the coaching went in 2021 is mainly Scott Satterfield. What to you guys kind of stood out the most in terms of like coaching trends by him, certain decisions. I know situational play calling was kind of left to be desired on, on both sides of the ball coaching wise, but what's, what's sort of something kind of stood up for you in terms of the coaching from the head man himself? You know, for me, I think it just—I—I uh, I think it kind of just comes down to trust. I don't think he really garnered that trust in his entire offense to be able to, you know, really put the ball, put the put the key moments in anyone's hands other than Malik. And we hadn't seen that. I mean, I think that in 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 his first couple of years, he didn't mind handing the ball off to Javian, you know, you know, over and over and over again, and and putting the ball in his hands or putting the game in his hands. And I think he really was relying on two two. Uh, being a not just a big play guy, but a third down guy. And when Tutu was out, I think he he had no problem transitioning that that role to Dez. He just didn't do that this year. And I think he put everything, he put a lot of pressure on Malik with his play calling and, and with his decision making to essentially say, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to give him options, but we're going to have the ball in his hands. And I think that going forward, they he's just got to, He's got to develop that trust in these other guys. You've got a guy like D. Wiggins coming in, who I think is an is a under the radar transfer. You know, you watch his highlights, and he he was a um, he was never a big you know a, a 70, 80 catch guy. But I think D. Wiggins is a type of receiver that when you need a play, he's the, he can his catch radius is out of this world. He can make the plays on the sideline. He can make contested catches. He has a speed to get behind the defense. I think he kind of encompasses the. Um, the full, the total package kind of, kind of deal, kind of like what they had with Des. I think Tyler Hudson's the same way where you can put them in different situations and they can make a play for you where, you know, Jordan Watkins was more of a possession kind of guy with speed, you know, especially straight line speed, but you know, he could, he can get open. He can make it, make a play here and there, but he's kind of more of a possession guy for them. And I think Justin Marshall, while I love Justin Marshall, and he can make a great catch. He wasn't a guy that, that I felt like they they never developed that trust in him to be reliable. And if you go back to Justin Marshall's first first when he first got here, he was extremely unreliable. So I get that they they can't have that mindset with the receivers they have now because I do think their running game is going to go well. But I hope that that's what's going to change because I thought that really held the offense back. And then they they kind of they kind of built up things to get those big plays with Tyler Hurrell behind the defense. You can't just have that one trick pony. You've got to have more of a wide range of, of a, in your passing game uh, and less pressure on Malik. And I think that was where the offense kind of struggled this past year. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with Keith. I think there are there are times, especially in the red zone, where you just thought like I just I don't know that Satterfield trusted some of the guys that I don't think he knew who was who. All right, who's my go-to guy? Everybody knows he's going to Marshawn in the red zone. Who else can I go to, other than just a uh, speed option and let Malik try to make a play with his legs? I I think there were times that he just didn't know who their guy was going to be. Um, and I I think that developed later in the year um so you may see it be it may be a little bit better next year but I just don't think they knew what they were getting from certain guys I mean even in the bowl game um on the defensive side that fourth and what was it 12 fourth and whatever that air force converted on a huge play in the second half you just didn't have anybody in secondary that you could trust to say hey I'm gonna put him in this position go make a play I mean Josh Mingus is a guy that gives that up and he's playing 10 yards off on a on what should be a five-yard play I just there's just things where I don't think they knew who to trust at any given moment. And I think that will change this year as they develop the depth um, that they have a little bit this season. So I know I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, looking a little bit toward 2022 with this, but from a coaching slash play calling type perspective on the offensive side, you add Lance Taylor as the offensive coordinator to kind of be another set of eyes on the offensive side. On defense, you add West West McGriff, Cody C with Brian Brown, again another set of eyes on the defensive side. Considering the staff changes that Centerfield made, how how do you guys think that will impact the way games were called and like some of the the packages they send out? I know it's gonna it's kind of hard to project that now since we we don't know how this the arc of the season is going to pan out since it's months away but how do you think those two hires specific i know they only made two coaching staff coaching position hires but you know what i mean how do you how do we think those two head guys their additions kind of impacts this from a coaching standpoint i like the mcgriff hire i i think it just gives brian a chance to really focus on a lot of things that he necessarily didn't have to focus on um uh, or i guess narrow in his focus as as dc um especially since um um McGriff can help in the secondary. I think Lance Taylor will help um, in terms of just a lot of player development. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who respect him for kind of his history. Um, but I think regardless, I think they're both going to be calling plays still. Um, it's just a matter of how much input Lance and McGriff have. I, I think McGriff is going to have a big impact on defense. So I just think he just has so much experience um, and he's going to be able to kind of help um, and, and give his, his a lot of his input into on, on the defensive side. I think the big thing with Griff is that he brings pressure schemes. Like he brings, so, you know, you have essentially, you know, as a play caller, you're going to have a situation come up and it's, hey, what pressure do we bring this, this, this one, which is essentially what blitz do we call? Wes McGriff just brings a whole, you know, different stuff to that because that's his background, whether it be working with Kevin Still, you know, Grantham, all these different guys. He's worked with guys that bring a lot of pressure. So he's going to have, especially with that three-man front, that three-four kind of style they have, he's he's had a, he has a background with that. And so I think we'll see different stuff from that standpoint. And I think that Brian Brown brought pressure more this year other than the Virginia game, obviously. And I think that especially immediately after that game, he really started bringing more pressures. But you kind of saw the same ones over and over again. And, and a lot of them were, hey, it's this pressure. It's just maybe from a different look. I think that that's going to help us because, you know, and Brian even admitted this in one of the games, or not admitted it, but pointed this out, that they were looking for, I think it was a UCF game. He kind of asked, what, what do we call here to the, to the team, to his defensive staff, essentially? And 
he said that he called something that, that, that nobody else really liked, but he asked for that input. And I think that that's the same thing. And Scott pointed this out the other day, you know, as a coordinator, you're not just, you know, it's not a dictatorship. You're not just out there just calling the play. You're asking for input at different points and things like that. And people are also just giving input because that's just the way it goes. I think that what Wes McGriff brings is that from a scheme and a, from a, from a game planning standpoint, you're adding those things in and in the plan. And then when during the game, he's going to be, be able to have that input. And I think that he's a much bigger hire from a, from a impact standpoint than Taylor. But I do think that Lance Taylor takes so much pressure off of Scott from handling everything. Uh, I think that'll help him with his game planning throughout the week. He's not having to be in every little thing and Lance can take those things on. I think that's going to help him out a lot. Uh, but I think the input, I think that's I, I kind of stress that because I do think that people tend to kind of, you know, you look at the coordinators as, hey, they made the call. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But the, there's other coaches on the staff that have the input that help throughout the game, that point things out. And, and I think that adding veteran coaches is always a plus. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. You know, you look at a guy like I love Pete Thomas. I think he's doing a great job. But hypothetically, if you add Pete Thomas and say, hey, he's going to be our new O.C., he doesn't bring a veteran presence like a Lance Taylor or like a West McGriff. And I think that's what Louisville needs with a younger coaching staff. You need guys that have been through it and can maybe add that veteran aspect and add a little bit more, uh, a diff- you know, different opinions and different looks and different views. And, you know, West McGriff to me brings that completely. You're, you're telling me that Brian Brown brought pressure? I was told he didn't do that all year. <laughs> <laughs> never, never have. Nothing, nothing but drop eight all season. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, everybody talks about Yaya Diaby not with the sacks. The, the quarterback hurries and hits numbers. I talked about this the other night. They're fairly high. I think he had oh, six yeah, or seven no, on the no, air. No. He was almost there so many times. He like was. He was there. I, I just and I, he, we, and we, Here's uh, the thing. That, here's the point on that. And, and one thing I think going into this season that people need to realize, when you play good quarterbacks, those pressures and hits, they, they, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't have as much of an impact, right? Because you, you good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, which Louisville played a lot of really good quarterbacks. They expect that. They they still get the ball off. They make yeah. those plays. And how many times do we see, hey, they gave up a play, and it's like you watch the replay, it's like they almost had them. Yeah. Good quarterbacks make those plays, and that's what's hard about, you know, watching this defense this year is that sometimes it was just – you just sit back and it's like, God, the other guy just made a good play. And it, and it's, it is hard. So that's one thing to your point. It's, it's a great point because I think Louisville did do a pretty good job of pressuring quarterbacks. You're just playing against really good ones. And – they make plays sometimes. I want to kind of transition, switch gears um, in terms of talking about what was on the field to off the field. And one thing I'm interested in, it particularly came from your insight of following the team and covering. And Keith, I know you had, you've talked about this a ton with recruiting, but um, NIL, name, image, likeness, the first year, the impact overall that it had on Louisville. Scott Satterfield's talked about it the last couple of weeks of making that you know, more of a priority with their team. Josh Hurd obviously announcing that they're going to kind of build a team and, and make some changes within the, the, the athletic department. So, Cam, year one, give me kind of how the, the analysis of how it went overall for Louisville from what you saw and know um, and how you see them using that to their advantage moving forward. Because it seems like some of the old heads in the ACC, particularly Dabo, not so much willing to kind of embrace this new era of college football, name, image, likeness, transfer portal. Scott Satterfield's got an opportunity here to kind of, you know, become the the next wave of Dabo, you know, in terms yeah. of just all these kind of different ways of, of winning and, and taking an advantage. So how, how would your analysis of that go? 
Well, I would say I think Scott has to embrace it. I don't necessarily think Dabo Sweeney has to embrace it because he's already built something at Clemson. I think he can recruit without recruiting using NIL to recruit. Now, they're not technically supposed to use NIL to recruit, but everybody in the world knows NIL is part of the recruiting process now. So, um, in general, I think Louisville's done pretty good. I mean, Malik Cunningham's a star of it. I think the amount of NIL stuff between Swizzle, he had a private plane company, I think. Him him and Monty Montgomery had a private uh, plane sponsorship, Planet Fitness. The amount of stuff Malik Cunningham brought in was just insane. But I think as as overall, I think Louisville's done a pretty good job as an athletic department. Like you said, Josh Hurd has announced that they're going to kind of shuffle around the athletic department. Matt Banker's the guy who kind of heads all of it for Louisville. They, they've done a really good job at not only um, helping the players understand NIL, but I think they put each of the programs, whether it's football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, um, lacrosse, whatever, into a position where they have, they can go when they talk to recruits. Now, Satterfield can't tell them. Pete Nocta can't tell them. But somebody else in Louisville can talk to them about NIL stuff. And Louisville has – has a plan they can sit down and say, hey, this is what we have available. This is what this person did. This is what this person did. I don't, there's not a lot of universities around the country that already have that set in stone. Um, so I think Louisville is a little mm-hmm. bit ahead of, ahead, ahead of pace um, than everybody else. So I think that's going to help a lot in recruiting. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why you're seeing so much momentum with the 2023 class already is because Louisville already has this planned out. It's not necessarily about the money these freshmen are going to make, because let's be real, a lot of these freshmen outside of Pierce Clarkson um, aren't going to make a lot of money. Like, I mean, to be fair, I mean, um, you're looking at, I think Jeremiah Collins will be fine, but you're looking at some of this random three-star linebacker isn't going to make nearly as much as what Pierce Clarkson might make. But it's the fact that Louisville already has a set in stone. The parents can look at it and be like, oh, Louisville's really on top of their stuff. I like this now. I, I like I like what they're talking about. So I think that helps a lot in recruiting. Um, and then the kids to see like, oh, this is what this player makes now. I, I might be able to make that at that point as well. So um, I, I think Louisville's doing pretty well. I don't know the exact numbers. Um, the the numbers for how much the players are making aren't. Um, we can't FOIA those numbers. Trust me, we've tried. So um, th- those are things that. But you just have to kind of have to trust it. Like I think these kids are making. They're, they're making good money and they deserve to make the money and they, they work their, their tails off. So, um, but Louisville's in a good spot. I think you're going to see it a lot helping help a lot in recruiting. Well, I think, what are your the, thoughts, Keith? I think the department that, that Josh heard talks about is, is going to be a really good, good idea. Uh, I think it's something that, um, you know, the, the, the rules are so lax right now uh, and they probably, I don't know how they really course correct on that. Um, that you can essentially, as a as a school, kind of, you know, put a department together and say, hey, here's how we handle NIL, and it'll be, you know, it's not necessarily a recruiting aspect, but it's, you know, your players are on campus and making sure they have what they need. And I think the other aspect is, you know, look, I was thinking about it from my own standpoint as someone that works, you know, my own, you know, the company I work for, but uh, I have a brother that works for a, for a company, and I'm sitting here looking at the company he works for, and I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter one day, and I see a kid in, I want to say Alabama, one of their one of their football players or basketball players, and you know he's, you know, being he's got an NIL deal with the company that my brother works for, and I just reached out to him. And I was like, "How does this work?" And he was like, "Well, that usually goes through corporate." And I was like, "Well, okay." And so I started thinking about it. And I was like, "This is hard to navigate yeah. if you're just a Joe Schmo who wants to give these kids money. How do you do it?" You know, and I think that having a department that kind of funnels it at least to a point that, hey, here's how you go through Louisville to reach out to kids is is helpful because, like I said, the rules are very 
flimsy. Um, and yeah, coach can't go out and say, Hey, I can't connect you with a guy, but our department can. And so I think that's going to be something that's helpful. I really hope that Louisville gets to the point where they get into this NIL collective um, situation that some of the schools around the country are starting to do where essentially it's booster led and it's the fund where you, you, yeah. you funnel it through businesses and whatnot. And it just, it's, it's kind of the same thing in a sense, but it's with a fund where players can reach out. Hey, I'm looking for an NIL deal and Hey, this company can get you this much money. Um, and I think that's where, I think that's where we're headed. Uh, I honestly don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it's a little bit more, it's not regulated, but it's at least a little bit more controlled. So I think there's always concern that you're going to get kids in bad situations and dealing with people you don't want to deal with. And, and, you know, maybe you can help help steer that away. But I think that Louisville's in a good spot, especially with a guy like Pierce Clarkson, who is all about his brand. He works with branding people out in L.A. I think that's going to help springboard things from a football standpoint down the road. And, yeah, and here's the thing. And really quick, sorry, Jake, I won't, won't take long on this. You and I, I've hung around the football facility. I've been there two or three times now since um, the last in the last couple of weeks for stories. People, I mean, it's it's. I'm not going to make it sound like people, the football players are talking about it all the time, but there's talk of NIL. Like I think players know what they can get. They know what other people make, and they, they it, it's going to be a huge thing for Louisville going forward. And also the players being able to talk to recruits about it. Like, I mean, Malik Cunningham knew Caleb Johnson growing up. Now, did they know, did they talk about NIL? Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. But if you know of a recruit coming to Louisville, that recruit asks you, hey, what are you making NIL? That's big. I mean, Louisville, Satterfield and Brian Brown and Wes McGriff don't even have to do anything. That's just random, one random recruit asking one of the current Louisville players what the NIL situation is in Louisville. So uh, I think that'll be a big thing as well. Yeah, it's really cool to see some of the businesses that have been um, like leaning into this pretty early on, um, just investing in players. One of them being Marshawn Ford with Dano Seasoning. They were kind of one of the first to get on the train there. He's done wonders for their brand. I mean, I you know I know people who um, specifically had never heard of that brand until Marshawn Ford became a spokesperson for it. Now it's in their pantry and it's a regular part of their seasoning packages. Um, Lee Cunningham with uh, Planet Fitness, they do signings with him every few weeks, man. I mean, they get people in the door for these places that are about football, footfall, the, the CPG, consumer package, good businesses, being able to get those off the shelf. Huge. And it's going to be, like you said, the word of mouth. Um, the local guys, particularly, their their value is going to be uh, really high. A guy like Marshawn Ford gives you the opportunity to, you know, local businesses to partner early with people. So I'm really interested to see what that, that department looks like and how Louisville's got a really strong core group of um, kind of investment corporate companies here in Norton and uh, Yum and some of the other big names, UPS. So there's really big opportunities there for them to, to create those, what I call EEFs, the Everybody Eats Fund, um, where they really make sure they can pay the, pay the players. And, and you know, that's going to... I know all summer, you know, all offseason people complained about coaching and complained about wanting to fire the coach. Um, and, and we kept talking about, look at that buyout and look at what the athletic department has to do financially, right? There's, they're just not there yet, right? And until um, Louisville can get boosters and donors and businesses to rally around and support causes like this to get those EEFs put together so everybody can eat, Louisville's not going to be able to take that next step. I think this is, this is a part of, of doing that, becoming more realistic about taking the next step in the ACC. All right, let's quickly take a, a quick break here. We're going to step aside and we come back. We'll start with 2022 for the first time on the show here as we look ahead to what lies um, ahead of the, the 2022 season for Louisville. You. Yeah, you. Enjoying this podcast? Like sharing global events and news with like-minded individuals? Love being a part of the global community? 
This podcast is part of a first-of-its-kind podcast network at thestateoflouisville.com. With daily news and opinions, seven podcasts, webcasts, and more, The State of Louisville is your home for anything and everything Louisville. Check them out at stateoflouisville.com today. All right, let's jump right into this, guys. Um, we've talked about this with Keith a couple of times, uh, but not in enough detail to really get um, you know an overall look at this. Louisville brings in an impressive group of transfers this offseason. Uh, we said on the show, if you're going to go out and get transfers enough with the with the you know uh, FCS guy, lower level guys, we want to see some power five players, even if they're not necessarily the, the former five stars or the top statistical guys. Bring guys in here that are proven at this level because that's what Louisville needs. Sure enough, Scott Satterfield had to have had from the Pink Seats podcast on in his office working as he uh, took our advice and then went and got several of those guys: D. Wiggins, uh, Taiwan Evans, uh, a number of the other players. Ty- Tyler Hudson is kind of the contrarian to that power five trend uh, coming from Central Arkansas. Saw, but Cam, let me start with you. What are you? What are your thoughts on this group of transfers, and um, how good can they be together uh, for Louisville next year? Yeah, man. I think if any, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head. That the conversation was Scott needs to go get Power Five guys, and I think he did that. I, I think Hudson. I know to be fair, of the, all the guys, I'm really, really, really excited about Hudson. I think he has a chance to be really, really good. Evans, I think, is just – I mean, you look at talking to any national recruiting analyst, I think it, Louisville, people think Louisville hit, the, hit a home run with him. Satterfield seems to love him so far. Uh, I, I, like the, I like the group as a whole. I, I think you added depth. I think you added top-tier guys who, who are going to uh, play right away. Um, like he said, I think D. Wiggins is going to be a guy a lot of people are surprised by um, when, he, when he steps on the field. Um, so I like, I, like, I like the transfers as a whole. Um, I'm really – I'll tell you one guy I'm really excited about is N.J. Griffin, man. The mm-hmm. speed he has in the back in the back end there is just you can just do so much with the, with speed like him. I, I I'm really excited to see what they do with him and where they put him and how they use him because he he can be a really really big impact guy back there. I think. Yeah, you know, and I, I agree with Griffin wholeheartedly. I, I was really surprised by his by his speed, and you see it on you see it when you watch him play. But not all guys really, you know, some guys just have that short area speed and are really good in that small space and you kind of see him explode, but he has genuine, like legit track speed, which is great. Um, but, it, but it's funny. I really didn't notice it. I didn't really think about it until this morning, Bill Connolly uh, put out his returning production list and Louisville's, you know, at 15 right now. And he, he kind of has a, he, he, he adds transfers in there in, in a way and his formula. And, you know, I'm definitely not good enough in math to figure out how his formula works and whatnot, but, um, I think one thing that I noticed is that they essentially replaced everyone. You know, you look across the board, you look at whether it be CJ Avery, you got Bubble Snogo, you've got MJ Griffin coming in to replace Q Cole. You look at the transfers at the cornerback position, they brought in two new corners, veteran corners, guys who have played power five football, whether starts starters or, or, or you look at, uh, uh, Williams from out of USC, who was the second corner up uh, for the last couple of years. And you look at the wide receiver position, they, they were replaced the two transfers at, at you know, that position. I, I didn't realize that they had done that at all. I just never really, you know, it, you kind of get caught up in everything that's going on. Yeah. But I think that was important. And I think that, you know, they were also maybe to, able to upgrade in some ways. Maybe, you know, maybe at corner, they're maybe not as talented as a, as a greedy Vance. Maybe, you know, but realistically, you're able to bring in guys who played multiple years of the power five level to add in to your other two guys who played multiple years of the power five level, you know, Louisville has four guys at corner now that are veteran guys that you know that you at least can 
rotate out. If Chandler Jones is having a rough game, which he's he's up and down, he's always been up and down. You know, you have another guy that you can put in there and and not be a a freshman. I mean, I, I think that's really important. And you know, I think that's such a such a it's a small thing. You know, like I said, I, I would I've, I've said it a million times. I wish they would have got gone out and gotten a top flight, you know, big time transfer corner. Well, they didn't, but they also were able to get in two guys that now you're sitting back. It's like, well, at least they have depth, actual power five depth. Uh, that you know what you're going to get. Um, so I think that's really important. But I think, you know, overall, I don't think they could have done better when it comes to just replacing guys. Like right now, they they have – they know what they have at all those positions. And I think Tyon Evans, I, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a star. You know, and I, I, I've i watched that kid's videos over and over again. And you're sitting there, it's like, dude, 220 pounds, able to make people miss in the open field. I think that's something that they just haven't had. Um, and he has top flight speed. So uh, I, I'm really happy about the transfers. Uh, I'm not – I still think they, they, they have room. Uh, I know they have the, at least three spots they can still fill if, if other guys leave. I think they need to maybe go out and get a nose tackle um, and maybe another safety to just add depth. But I, I think they, being able to replace the guys you lose, I think that's what it when, when, going forward, that's what the transfer portal is going to be all about. Yeah, it seems that at the very least, they took the talent that was departing and they didn't take a step back. Like right. you mentioned, like kind of you have de- you basically have depth now at corner instead of like the quality guys you thought you were going to get next year. But at wide receiver, at linebacker, at running back, you either were par for the course or were up were, were upgrades. I think obviously Tyon Evans is an upgrade. I think Momo Sonogo, as good as CJ Ever was, I think he's on par with what he was because he brings a ton of experience over from the SEC. And D. Wiggins, he, he showed potential a couple seasons ago. And I really, like you said, Cam, I really like uh, Tyler Hudson. I'm watching some of his film from Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas, I know it's the FCS level, but, I mean, the guy was an FCS All-American for a reason. He's got insane catch radius. You, you don't really – when you hear FCS or someone from Central Arkansas, you automatically think, hey, he might not be – that good when you actually sit down and watch film with this guy, he he could be one of the more underrated receivers on the squad. But for like video game highlights when you watch him play, he does. Yeah, he exactly. he hits the aggressive catch, the triangle. That's what he does every time he goes up. <laughs> He's aggressive catch. All right, so we know the guys that are coming in by the transfer portal. So now I'm gonna for you guys, I'm gonna rattle off a few names for some of the returners. Keetro Clark, Marshawn Ford, Lee Cunningham, Yasir Abdullah, Caleb Chandler, Tower Harrell. Kendrick Duncan, Monty Montgomery, Braden Smith, Trayvon Cooley, Trevor Reed. How many of those guys are first team All ICC next year? I think. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're putting me on spot. Hold on, Malik. <laughs> Wait, you said first team? Yes, first team. First okay, team. Hold on, first hold on, team. Hold on, hold on. Uh, and it, and it could be a transfer or someone who we're not even who I didn't even mention. Nah, I got him off. field. No, nah, I got to mention here. I'm going with four, four. I, so that's what I got. I think that, I think that Ty Evans. Oh, I think okay. So I, I don't have him scene. here. Okay. I think he's, I think he's JV Hawkins level production. You know, even with the other guys, I think he's that good. I think that Yasir Abdullah, Caleb Chandler, and Keetro Clark. Yeah, I, I, I had those three. I had those that's, three. That's, that's, that's what I'm going with. Malik saw, Cunningham. 
Lee Cunningham would be would be my fourth man. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But listen, listen. If Matt is is true, if Matt's prediction is right that he's going to New York or he's contending to go to to New York for a Heisman, true. Somebody else would have to have a crazy season, and now Louisville would have to win nine, ten, eleven games. So here's my here's my thing, and it goes back to Cam's point. If Malik Cunningham puts up the numbers he did last year, they're not winning. I don't think Louisville's in a good spot as a team. Yeah, they're not winning nine, ten games. Yeah, and I, and I, that's not a bad thing. That's the thing. That is not a bad thing at all. And that's not that's not that's not a knock on Malik at all. He needs help. He but needs okay, other people to step and, up. And, and also, just real quick, who are some of the returners at quarterback around the ACC? I Brandon know Armstrong, uh, Tyler yeah. Van Dyke, yeah. um, Devin Leary. Oh, I forgot about Devin the Van Dyke. Leary, yeah. yeah, everybody. There's, there's a few. Yeah, everybody but Kenny Pickett. Yeah, everybody but Kenny Pickett. And Sam Howell. Yeah, but listen, here's my here's my counter back to that. Okay. I definitely agree that Malik was stretched. The usage rate, if there, I don't know if there is one in college football, it would be extremely high. But I'm telling you, they the number of of missed deep balls by fingertips that are 60, yeah. 70, That's 80 fair, yard yeah. plays. I mean, I, I want to go back at some point and and do the Keith win and rewatch every game and make myself relive that misery. Look, it can't be worse than basketball. Okay. It can't be. So I can do yeah. it and tough through it right now. But yeah. I'm telling you, there's a number of plays that uh, a number of guys like Harold, Amari Huggins, Bruce, that if they just get their fingers on the football and they catch the ball, they walk into the end zone with a huge play and it, and it fluctuates his statistics to not be so much run heavy because they don't ever get to that opportunity. Now so, I, I'm not saying he's going to come out here and throw for 4,000 yards next year or something crazy like that. But I, I do think that if Louisville is, is going to win nine games. And I, I still don't know if I feel comfortable saying that, but I think that it's a possibility. He's going to have an all ACC first team potential Heisman type of season. He's just going to, he's going to, I mean, he's been at college about five years now, starting for four. <laughs> I mean, and he's gotten better every single year. Now I know the turnovers last year, um, you know, put that where you will, but uh, I still think that he's going to be that good next year. I mean, it's a fair argument. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's not like really a true disagreement as much as this, it just feels like, you know, I think he has more help this year, and I think yeah. that's like just like as a positive. So I don't know if you know he gets to a thousand yards rushing because I think you know he won't be running as much. I think he maybe has more passing yards because he has. I think he has a better receiving group. But so it's not it's not out of the question. I just think that uh, I think it'll be more spread out on offense. Personally, that's kind of how I look at it. I guess. And also, Matt, to go back to your initial question, I had four. On the LAC list, I had Caleb, Trey, Yusir, and then I put Monty as my fourth one. It, it it really depends on if hopefully Monty can you know be able to rehab. And that was a great piece by you earlier today on on Monty. I I really hope he's able to be hey, full go by the time full camp starts. Shout out to Pro Rehab, former employer of mine. I worked there for <laughs> almost two years. Doctor Eric McElroy, uh, Ed Foring over there. That the, Daryl Williams, the staff at Pro Rehab, is going to get him right. When I saw the the NIL deal there, I was like, I, you could not think of a better fit for them than going through it with Braden and with uh, Monty. Anyways, I digress. Cool stuff. Uh, anyways, four is not crazy to think. And hey, who says that Tyler Harrell doesn't have a thousand yards? I mean, I know it's it's probably unlikely. Kendrick Duncan, maybe he leads the team in tackles, has a couple more picks. I don't know. But these there's a number of guys on this team who I think are first team and uh, second team, third team for sure. I mean, they, they've got a talented group, and it begs the question, is this the deepest, strongest core Satterfield has had since he's been here? Now, I know 2019, you're putting that up against Mekhi Becton, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, um, Javian Hawkins, and, and a ton of guys on that roster. But is this, is this more stronger core for him this year than even that was back in 2019. 
Well, you just kind of you kind of nailed it right there. 2019, you just, you just named off a bunch of offensive guys. Yeah, they actually have some defensive <laughs> talent now, some developed talent, and some guys that they brought in. So your Sir Abdullah two years ago was was not what we know now. You know, Monty Montgomery obviously showed flashes his first year there. I think hopefully he's now at that at that next step. Um, you have Trey guys Clark like even there. <laughs> yeah, you guys got you know Clark. You've got you know uh, Duncan in the back end, who I think is you know one of the best safeties they've had. And I wish that somehow or another they were able to get Hugh Cole this year as opposed to last year. And and I feel like they're 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 better, they're deeper on defense now than they were uh, this past season. But you have young talent now that I think, in my personal opinion, should be better than maybe their depth that they had early on on defense. You look at a guy like, you know, say your say your car position and say Marvin Dallas is your guy. We saw flashes of what he can do and hopefully he takes that next step. You know, if his backup can be a guy like if they were able to move Ben Perry down the car and now you have a four star and a top level JUCO guy that that you know that you brought in are now your guys at card. You have your Syrup Dula, you have Popeye Williams and you have you know, Cam Wilson at your at your dog position. You have five, six guys at inside linebacker. I think that, you know, it's not just about the top level of their talent, which I think is obviously better, especially on defense. I think it's the fact that they have depth at different spots. Your offensive line has seven guys. I mean, you're losing Cole Bentley, who's obviously a veteran starter for you, a guy that you can you can rely on. And you just plug in Brian Hudson. You also have Luke Kandra, who's going to be stepping up into that seventh role. You have, you know, Gonzalez, who can probably take over a starting spot this year if somebody doesn't step up. I mean, you have so much more, so many more options to deal with. I mean, we haven't even talked about Devon Mortimer at all. A guy who I think is going to come in and and quite literally could easily take over a spot and be a guy that can put up some big plays, just like we saw Amari Huggins-Bruce doing flashes this year. I think that Mortimer is a, a more polished guy, a more overall better guy coming into his freshman year. They have just more. They have more, more, more from a from a player standpoint. Where you know, like you said, you, you mentioned 2019, and you're not mentioning too much on defense. It's just not going to happen because they just didn't have that. So I think as a as a core, I think their their top top level guys are better, but I think they have more depth um, than they've had in the past. We just have to see if it if it if it flushes out to be guys that. You know, like I said before, who's that guy coming into their second or third year that's going to take that big step forward? They need two or three of those guys because you had 75 freshmen on the roster last year. If you can't get two or three of those guys to take that big leap forward, uh, that's a that's a problem. Yeah, um, I mean, Keith hit the nail on the head. It's it's without a doubt the deepest team they've had. I think the biggest thing for me now is how does that depth transfer? Do you see them finish games better than they did last year? Do you see um, like like he said, the development of some of the younger guys. I think one big name, like we mentioned earlier, is Marvin Dallas. How has he developed? Can he step in at at the um, the car spot and be a big impact guy? I think that's the biggest thing for me now. Is you have the depth? Can it translate into four four strong quarters of football? Doesn't have to be every game. It's impossible to play four strong quarters of football every game unless you're Georgia or Alabama. But um, it has to be the majority of the time and let that translate into eight nine months. Yeah, we, and we have all these these core guys, and it kind of tracks with what Satterfield has said a few times over this offseason. He, he, he's actually made it a point to say, well, 
when I came here, I knew it was going to be a four-year rebuild. I knew we weren't we weren't getting a lot when I came in here. I knew it was going to take a few years. It is what it is up to this point. He's 18 and 19. Now that the four the year four of this four-year rebuild is here, what are the realistic expectations heading into? I don't want to say it's a make or break year, but this is where the rubber really starts to hit the road. Yeah, I mean, the schedule doesn't do him any favors. I mean, the back end of the schedule is rough, and then the whole front end, you're on the road for half the schedule. So um, it's a tough it's a tough schedule. I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth. I think seven or eight wins going into the bowl game is kind of where you want to be. I think and you have the excitement of the 2023 class coming in. I think that's a big thing for them in terms of job security as well. Um, but I, I think you got to win this year. I don't think you can have a – I don't think there's another um, losing season in them. I think they have to win this year. And I, I think, I, you know, I put it this way. I think that, you know, as of right now, it at least sounds like they're going to be, you know, throughout the summer having a top 15, 20 recruiting class, you know. And so I, I would say before Pierce Clarkson committed, you can't have a losing season no matter what. And I think seven wins – you know, seven and six would at least, you know, be a point where, you know, the fans, fans aren't going to be happy. And, you know, depending on what happened with the, with the AD, you, you know, you, you know, you don't really know. You might, you know, say, hey, I'm going to come in. And I've, I have the ability to make a change right now because I can, because this guy, the fans are super happy with him. He's got two losing seasons and one season where it's like, hey, you're, you're almost at a losing season or you're barely 500. I think being able to recruit at the level they are right now, if they can continue that and get those commitments, I think the seven wins is going to be fine for them. Um, I still, I'm still not sold on a losing season working out for Scott. I, I just, I can't three losing seasons in a row is not something that even little football has, has no. seen. So no. I think that's really tough for him, but I think, I think realistically, you, you know, with what he has uh, coming back this year, I mean, you, you're 15th in the nation in returning production. This is your team. You know, they're, 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 there's yeah, – hell, even CJ's gone. You know, it's just Malik. It's really all you really have coming back outside of, you know, you know, a couple of, of guys that are veteran guys. You, this is your team. And at this point, you know, if you're not winning eight games with your roster I, and the schedule's tough, I, I 100% agree. Uh, not even just how it rolled out, just in general. The teams they're playing are not really easy teams. Oh, you look at the returning production. I was looking at that, and they've got five teams in the top twenty are are on Louisville's schedule right now. So, but they've almost beaten all of them. That's my that would be my my argument there. Not that we're trying to get fair. into that debate now. They've almost beaten all of them, which is why which is I feel like you could be a little optimistic while also having that kind of in your back pocket. Exactly, and I, I think that's the thing is that can you with the guys you have coming back with your quarterback coming back, which is always so key. Uh, I think that you know Louisville the expectations should be that, yeah, they should be winning uh, eight games, you know, or more this year uh, based on the fact that, hey, you know, just because these other teams are good, just because the other teams have guys coming back, well, so do you, you know, and and, and you've got to be able to finally turn turn the corner. I mean, I, I 100% agree with Scott Satterfield when he talks about how close these games are. He's not wrong. He's not lying. He's not making things up. But at the end of the day, you got to win those games. You got to be on the other side of the till. And and he hasn't gotten there over the last two seasons. And doing that, and to my opinion, like I said, this season, 
I didn't feel like Louisville was a, was was in a in a situation where they should have been close in some of these games. I felt like they were better, ten points better than some of these some of these teams they lost to, or some of these games they lost. That's where, to me, that's where you got to get to. It's not just turning the tide and getting a three point win. You've got to show that you're actually better than these teams. You have a better system. You have better players, where it may be. Uh, to because to me, that takes Louisville to where they need to get to. Uh, and and with recruiting going how it's going. That's a springboard. Hey, we're 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 now a eight nine wins is what we expect, and now we're gonna need the players to get us over the hump, because I think that it feels like the table, the tide is turning in recruiting. It's not just Pierce Clarkson. It's not just the guys that Pierce Clarkson is talking to. It's guys that are out throughout the country that they're in on, and they're getting to come to Louisville multiple times for visits. That's not normal. That's not something that they've been able to do at all in in Louisville recruiting, whether it be Satterfield, you know, year one, year two, uh, Petrino or strong. It was more of, Hey, we got a couple guys and we kind of got momentum going. They're getting multiple guys on campus uh, over and over and over again. And they like what they see. That's how you build recruiting. And if you can do that and win eight, nine games, you're talking about a whole different stratosphere for Louisville, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely think that uh, this is the year you, like you all said, you either win or you, you got to go because you've gotten all the opportunity, all the resources, all the, the time needed to be able to build that. Um, been a great episode, tons of uh, great insight here. Uh, appreciate you guys hopping on with us, but I, I want to quickly get predictions for Sunday for the Super Bowl. Uh, what are your all thoughts? I know Cam, it's got to be killing you a little bit inside to watch the Bengals play in the Super Bowl. So mad. I oh man, I, I know. I'm sorry. I, I didn't think about that until just now. Like I didn't mean to bring the Super Bowl up. As, like, a, and, I, and I'm watching the, the Super Bowl with Bengals fans. It's going to be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so good. What do you got? What do you guys got for predictions? Just uh, who who wins? I don't need a score. Who wins? I think the Rams win. Uh, that that D line is just. I think they're going to be too much. And and Ryan Tannehill isn't the Rams quarterback. So um, I, I think they may get eight nine sacks and then and, yeah. and actually win the game this time. Yeah. What about what about you, Keith? I think the Rams too. Only only because I think the the Bengals defense is is good, but I think they rely a little bit too much on their secondary, and I think the Rams are going to be actually be able to run the ball pretty well. I haven't kept up with the Bengals a ton this year, but their offensive line has been like one of the worst for the last three years. So I can't imagine that all of a sudden it's going to be big enough to to stop Aaron Donald and Von Miller and those guys. I agree, it's going to be one but, of those games nine ten see, sacks. See, J- Joe Burrow got sacked nine times. And still will let the Bengals. That's because Ryan Tannehill was the other quarterback. <laughs> but then he took down Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead. So you two are going Rams. I, I, my head is saying Rams, but you know what? Screw it. Joe Burrow. I like this Bengals team. They're a lot, they're, the Bengals are a lot easier to root for now than they were a few years back when they're in the playoffs with Marvin Lewis and Vontez Murphy and all those guys. It's a little bit more fun. I like I like Joe Burrow a lot. Just I think he's a good dude. I think he, I like him, but I'm sorry. I think the Rams just have too much talent. Yeah, same. Yeah, and the the Bengals just cut my guy Colin Hoba, so I'm going with the Rams, man. Tutu Atwell and Jamie Hawkins are watching on the sidelines, but how dare you, Bengals? So close to the end. How dare you? Uh, it's been a great episode. I appreciate you guys uh, jumping on with us and talking a little football. You guys know where to, to find their work, Card Chronicle, Courier Journal. We've got a long off season, spring football coming up here in just a few weeks, but uh, make sure you guys are following there, and I uh, hope you'll tune in again next week as we do this again with another set of, of guys talking Louisville football uh, at the roundtable here. We'll talk to you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.